So I traveled the world basically to meet all these brilliant thought leaders and big thinkers in the space of wellness. And I came back to the job and literally I was a changed man. I was gonna meditate, eat salad and stuff. And I was doing all these lovely things. But the one thing that I hadn't changed was drinking. I hadn't even considered to question alcohol. It's mad, isn't it? We've got this cultural blind spot. I was looking at meditation and movement and not once did I think, oh, what about the alcohol thing? But it wasn't until I got back into the office and found that my consistency in my nutrition, my exercise was constantly being undone by a couple of drinks or a night out or a lunch. And it was that awakening of, oh, I think it's the alcohol. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Happy Pear Show. Yeah. Hello and welcome. Wishing you a wonderful Happy New Year. And thank you for lending us your ears, your mind, your spirit and your consciousness. David here. Stephen here. And Sarah. How's it going? Good, guys. Where are we going to go now? Haven't seen you for a whole... Saw you every day over Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. Small yep. town living. Yep, yep that's great. it. Um, okay, so New Year excitements. We were just discussing their goal setting. Okay, goal setting is something that uh, I know even this year I felt a little fraught. It was the first time in a long while where it's like last year I had one goal, meditate more. Didn't really do so well. You just it. did that goal again. I saw your I know, story. I know. I'm literally, that's, that's what I, for about, two, sorry, for about two days, I was like, will I write a list? Will I not write a list? Do I want to actually do it? And then I said, no, I'm just going to meditate again this year. That was oh, nice. You're I like such that. a cop out. No, <laughs> no but I think if, if I meditate more, every aspect of my life tends to be more in sync, more in flow, less, less from that point of push and egoic sense of wanting to accomplish something, much more sense of just being in the flow of life nice. and trusting and more sense of surrender. Ooh. Dave, what was your uh, Uh, Well, my goal last year was meditate more. (laughs) Meditate more and slow down. They they were my two goals. And uh, And copy your bigger brother? No, no, it wasn't. He's only 15 minutes old. (laughs) But but the other night we were sitting having dinner. I was having dinner with a friend. And I said to him, oh, I had two goals last year. Meditate more and slow down more. And he said, I failed on both of them. And he said, I haven't seen you in a year and a half. I think you're much slower. Like I genuinely do. I think you've relaxed. And it was like, wow, I didn't, you know. And that was interesting to get that feedback because I haven't been the best at meditating I go through spells where I'm good but it was nice to hear from someone else who I hadn't seen in a year and a half and go I think you genuinely have slowed down I think you both started the year off really well with meditating yeah yeah <laughs> Are you gonna, I'm, I'm that's failed. like most people in goal setting I think maybe we should do a series on goal setting yeah yeah let us know and maybe not a series on it but maybe like a few episodes or something yeah, because I remember we do about. yoga in the morning uh, and then you, you try Sarah and get Fossil, to... What are your goals this year? There you go. Look, you're <laughs> very I want to go back to your issues with keeping <laughs> to your goals, all right? <laughs> um, I don't think I set a goal. Maybe uh-huh. I should. Any kind of goal? I don't know. Anything come up with you now? Meditate you're feeling more. a bit nervous? <laughs> you, you, you mean start? <laughs> I don't think you've... I've never seen you meditate. I, I meditate in my own way. Okay, like running? Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's not yoga. meditating. Yoga is kind of like meditating. And I do slow down a bit more. Yeah. But yeah. That's good. On the topic of resolutions, we have a great guest and a wonderful topic that I forgot was how dear to our own hearts. Yeah, it really was. Um, So we met met our special guest who we're not going to tell you about, even though you probably read the title. Uh, We met Andy (laughs) in Cork a few, I'd say it was six or seven years ago. Could have been six years ago. It was on a Rich Roll retreat. So Rich Roll is this really lovely guy from America that has a podcast, plant-based athlete, super lovely guy. And he had a retreat on an Ireland. And we went down and kind of, took part and I think we, we did, did a talk co- I think no, we, we did a cooking co- demo. Co- 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 did you know Rich well before that or was uh, it? we, we met him a couple we, times I think we'd done Rich's podcast yeah well. I think we'd come hang out or whatnot. and um, we ended up meeting Andy and Andy at that stage was just tapping out of the stock market and had this 
had a few ideas, but the, you know, since then he kind of created his whole uh, business and reinvented himself. And did you guys become friends there? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it just clicked. Well, we went on a big run. I remember that. It was good fun. And yeah. at what point of his non-alcoholic journey was he then? He was, I think he was, he was part of the non-alcoholic non journey yeah. and was kind of transforming. The metamorphosis had started. Mm. And I guess Rich Roll was, Andy was into Rich because Rich had been an alcoholic and yeah. had kicked that and had embraced him like his lifestyle. And I think Rich is a great role model. Like he really, really is. And, uh, and in terms of like, I'd forgotten how, you know, how almost pivotal us giving up alcohol you know like we've been living a healthy life for about 20 years now and i forgot that before we even started the health like kind of one of the almost like the spark plug or what you'd call in spanish the chispa uh was that sense of giving up alcohol and we haven't drank for about 20 years and you know i'm not for anyone listening i'm not saying everyone should be alcohol free or not but i'm just saying that there's a cost of drinking alcohol and often it's overlooked because it's such a societal norm can yeah. you remember the last drink you had nope I was in Mexico. I just done a 10 day V passion retreat. Um, I met this guy called Rupesh, cool dude, and this cool professional golfer. And the three of us went down to Mexico and climbed this kind of like cliff face. And I was crap. I was scared of heights and scared of snakes. Uh, and then we were drinking, they were drinking wine afterwards. And I said, This is going to be my last little glass of wine. And I had a little glass of wine. How old are you? Maybe 22, 23. Wow. Then that's 19 years ago, not 20 years ago. Then you're lying. Big fat liar. Stevie's a liar. So, <laughs> so if you were like at a wedding and someone handed you a glass of champagne, oh, yeah, cheers. I'd, I'd milk it, of course. I'd yeah. have a sip of it, you know, then kind of put it in the table and I'd get lost in the event. Yeah. Uh, but I might like, I've no problem tasting stuff. And I'm not against it. I remember a couple of times I've been away over the last couple of years, now pre all this stuff that's been happening the last couple of years. But I remember me and Sab used to go away and I... I'd have a glass of sangria with her. We'd have a glass of sangria and I'd get giggly like an <laughs> old goat and I'd we'd get like tipsy and it was so much fun like have a drink and that'd be it, you know. They'd take yeah. a drink. I did that twice and that was so much fun, you know. So that's been... That's your, your journey. Yeah, that's been my journey. So anyway, today's event, today's podcast <laughs> chat is conversation. Yeah, conversation is with Andy Ramage and it's really on the, on the subject of alcohol is can be really, people really love it. People, you know, it's a mainstream in our society, but it can, as Stephen said, it can sometimes be the kryptonite to your dreams. That's what Andy Ram Ramage says himself. And really in our own experience, we found that we had so much things that we wanted to do and we found alcohol was, you know, it just wasn't helping. And I remember we only get meant to give it up for two weeks and that two weeks ended up being 20 years or whatnot. 19. Yeah, 19. Yeah, thanks, Steve. <laughs> um, so it's interesting in terms of this, this um, if you're interested in reevaluating your relationship in terms of alcohol, I think it's a massive component in terms of health because I know myself when we, we used to, We'd go out spending 50 euro. This is back when we were in college. You'd spend 50 euro on a can, on going getting drunk the night before. And then ne the next day, you wouldn't buy a punnet of blueberries. You wouldn't buy anything healthy. You'd be an absolute cheapskate until you were going drinking on Friday. So it really just put, you know, it, the whole thing was swayed. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So anything else to say, sir? Well, I just also would like to say that we've got a really exciting project that we're in development with Andy Ramage. So uh, definitely stay tuned to the space. Eh, hey, Dave? Ooh, so much mystery. Ooh, Sarah, <laughs> you're so mysterious. I am. Yeah. Okay. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we give you the wonderful Andy Ramage. Welcome, Andy. It's great to be here. This is so cool. <laughs> it's so lovely to see it and kind of go, oh my God, I can, inter I can interrupt without kind of needing a big gap. Like yeah. We can have a real, like a more fluid conversation. This is nice. I've done a lot of these. I actually did a podcast earlier in a car. So it's all happening. 
this is in a car in, like you were in all a in a car, car. yeah I had the, the equipment and we sat in a car and we, we had a chat but it's nice. so nice to do it in the real world as opposed to oh, yeah. zoom even though zoom's great but this is this is so much better yeah very very different experience it's lovely there you are yeah 3d 3D, in full effect. So I guess we can take this in a million different directions. And the way that we we know Andy from uh, a number of years back, we met you on the Rich Roll Retreat. That's right. You had, you were kind of coming out with the, the now coming out sounds like a strange word, but more the the one year the the alcohol free mission was emerging. Yeah, it hadn't quite come to you know it hadn't quite been birthed. I think at that stage. But it was very much front and center in your mind and it was it was unfolding. And since then, it really has grown legs and feet and arms. And yeah, I remember actually on that retreat, we had the dinner on the last night. And do you remember people stood up and, and, and spoke about their reflections from the retreat? And, and I remember standing up saying, I've decided that I'm going to make this alcohol free mission my life and I'm going to quit my job, which was a broker at the time. And I'm going to start this movement somehow to help lots of people. And everyone got up and cheered. And it was like a really big moment. And that was it. I pretty much went back. I think two, two or three weeks later, I did resign. It's and amazing. Which is hard, which is hard when you've got a family and kids yeah. to resign. And it's amazing social accountability because yeah. you had that almost public declaration of intention. Suddenly you're like, I've got to do, I gotta do this now. And you got to sit in your own and go, am I really ready to do this? Like this is, I'm leaving security to you know, pursue this dream yeah. of a social change and more a, a meaning, you know, a job of more purpose possibly than a broker. Yeah, and there's some strange bits about that because you feel a bit selfish. I was a bit like, who am I to question this amazing job that I've got that's looked after me and my family all these years? Who am I to want more from life? Do you know what I mean? I want more purpose. And more feel meaning. greedy? A little bit. But it's that sort of greed of something more, isn't it? Of more meaning and more purpose as opposed to more money. It wasn't yeah. about that at all. It was about something that I'd, I'd found just so meaningful. And I didn't know that was going to happen. I just stumbled upon it when I took a break from the booze and it unlocked all these wonderful benefits. But that like urge just to give back or do something different was so powerful that it gave me that bit of courage. And like you say, standing up in front of all those people, that was the first time I'd ever said it in front of people that I admired and loved Rich Roll and yourselves. I thought, right, I've got to do it now. <laughs> Here we go. This is too late. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. And one thing I was, I was walking with my son, Theo, back from the beach this morning. He's eight and he's mad at the football. And I was going, we're going to be talking to a friend, Andy. And Andy turned, was offered to be a professional footballer at age 10. And I just, he, he was like, a 10? So like, I could be a professional footballer in two, two years? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think, fascinating. It was, it was, it was around that age, wasn't it? It that was. You were... So age 10, uh, yeah, I signed with a professional club like you do as a schoolboy. And I was with them until I was 16 and then had that lovely opportunity. And you still go to school or were you just football? Yeah, yeah. So still football at school, school, more or less. Cool. Um, but oh, it's the most beautiful thing. I love football. It's the greatest gift ever. It's such a shame. It's the one thing in my life that, uh, you know, I, I do miss. I genuinely miss. That I wish I could still play it. I just can't unfortunately because of the same war wound that stopped me in my early 20s but I signed at 16 like that was my dream imagine going to play professional football full time and that was a real brush with meaning and purpose in my life because I think that's what happened to a lot of athletes when they get to the end of their career you see the stats around athletes bankruptcy depression divorce because they lose that meaning and purpose that they've had from age 10 mm. so for me I got to 18 and, and was told I wasn't good enough it was literally like um, X Factor, where you had to queue up outside the manager's office. Did I get the job? Did I get yeah. the job? Literally, imagine 10 to 18, eight years of my life was literally going to be decided in, I'm going to walk in this door, dreams shattered or made. Mine was shattered. You're not good enough. Out you go. But all of these experiences. I mean, you beaten, were you crushed? Were you? I, I was, but 
you know, when you look back and reflect on this stuff, it was the making of me, all of those things, because unlike many of the other lads who disappeared, that was it. They couldn't come back from it. I was like, no, do you know what? I'm going to prove them wrong. And I come back and I tried. The spirit, the fighting yeah. spirit emerges. I was back and I found a professional club in Gillingham, ended up breaking into the first team, playing in the first team, scoring in the, the professional league. That was my dream. I just wanted to score one goal in the professional league. Be the hero. And I did it. Was it a good goal? No. (laughs) And it was only ever one goal. But I did it. It was like a fumble from about five yards and the bobble sent the keeper the wrong way. And it just sort of, and then I did the most silly goal celebration ever, which was this big knees up thing. What's happened to that celebration? They've stopped doing that. (laughs) The old high knees. And I loved it. And that was it. And then within probably six months of that, I was injured which led me to play to I- come to Ireland because my career was pretty much finished. So by 21, it, it was done, over. Jeez, well, it, well, it's exciting to even have a career before you're 21 because most people's career up yeah. to 21 is like drinking and just understanding themselves or trying to make some, you know, sense of the world really up until you're 21. So to have a career before them was a good uh, one. Do you know what? It's so true. And I think the resilience that comes from that, like I mentioned, of, of success and failure, that's why I think sport is such a beautiful thing for everyone to be a part of because... I learned so much by the end of that process, even though, you know, I went to business and all these different things, it was that learning that set me up because I felt bulletproof, you know, when I was in the trading pits and all this sort of stuff going on and people were struggling and overwhelmed, I found that quite easy. I found it quite easy to get. And what was that just because you'd been through the hardship of professional sport? Yeah. That it was like almost this resilience was in you. Yeah. And I think those early upsets and coming back from those and realizing that I could actually overcome some huge hurdles because they felt like earth shattering. You can imagine twice it felt earth shattering to come back from that created a new sort of resilience in me that set me up for the rest of my life. That's why I'm always saying to young athletes, the skills that you've got are so transferable into every area of life because they are those skills very often of resilience, which I think right now is what most people need. Wow. You, you said the word pits. You said the word trading pits there. Yeah. Which to me, like conjures up images of, you know, a, any kind of Wolf of Wall Street or any of these kind Male of like- Male-oriented environments competing for yeah. cash. And, and, and that kind of environment. Because I know like, you know, your your chapter, which, you know, before your, your alcohol-free mission, was very much as a trader, as a competitive, you know, high octane oil trader, was it? Yeah, oil yeah. broker, broker, broker trader, okay, same yeah. sort of thing. But yeah, exactly that in those trading pits where you'd scream and shout one other, you've seen it on the, the telly. I loved it. Again, for the same reason, I was sort of a bit bulletproof going in there because it's, it's really hyper hard. competitive again. So yeah. probably really like sprang to your like, come on. Yeah, it was like sport. Literally, I'd say there was, you know, there was the odd, slide tackle and the odd sending off in those pits <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty brutal in there and only the sort of strong survived and, and I excelled in that environment but also that came with that high energy high octane um, party hard play hard type of atmosphere which I love genuinely I had the best 10 or 15 years of my life you know I got to travel to all these beautiful places that you know earn lots of income all that sort of wonderful stuff and then it just got a bit to the point where it was like oh actually I should be blissfully happy now I was sort of mid 30s I should have by that yardstick of monetary success, been skipping into the office and, and singing dippity doodah, but I wasn't. I was like a real sort of five out of 10, you know, like just pff, plateaued a bit. And that was a real wake up call for me. It was a bit of an epiphany of like, what are we doing? Like, what's, what's this all and about? And at that stage as 35, were you like, you know, when I think of the sporting mentality, being a broker or whatever, did you still have a body of an athlete? Were you 35 and fit and you know, energetic, or were you kind of a businessman, 30, a businessman, you know, you said monetary success, often a lot of businessmen will sacrifice their health for the sake of wealth. 
And, you know, to reach that monetary success, were you that kind of stereotype or? Absolutely. I ticked every stereotypical box you could tick. So for those 10 years, I didn't exercise, didn't go near a gym. I just ate whatever was in front of me, drunk too much like everyone else was doing. Totally stressed out, totally maxed out, barely at home. But I'd achieved this monetary success. And that was the epiphany of what are we doing? Like, what is the point of all of this if all we're going to end up with is cash in the bank. And then I looked around at those people more successful than me, right? And in my mind, the only yardstick was money. So the people that would generate more income than me and genuinely across the board, broken bodies, broken minds, broken homes. I was like, that that makes no sense. What is the point in all of that? So it was a real awakening for me. And I, and I read a book, funnily enough, it was a book called Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And I don't know how it ended up on my bookshelf or why it ended up on my bookshelf, it did. I picked that up one day and literally changed my life. There was a quote in there. It's not events um, that shape our lives, but our beliefs about them. And that for me was this revelation of what I can actually get into my mind and start controlling what's going on in my mind, regardless of what's happening around me. And that just led to this cascade of self-development, which led to a beautiful reflection about where I was in my life at that point, to, to such a place that I ended up on the Rich Roll Retreat and made that big statement, I'm out of this, I'm not doing this anymore because... I'm going to rebuild my life in that industry, but I'm going to put well-being at the heart of that. So I'm going to see my family. I'm not going to miss a netball match, which I didn't. I'm not going to miss class assembly, which I didn't. I was always there at home for my wife. Stopped drinking. And went plant-based. But well, where did it come? Like, where did you just suddenly start to stop drinking? Like, was where, there, where was, there, was, was, there, was there almost because because I can think of our we've been twenty years without drinking, and there was seeds of it. Like when I look, you know, you can look back retrospectively and go, okay. There was seeds of it sprinkled, you know, long before it actually came to fruition. So I wondered where the seeds had you started, like when you when you said you read this book, this Awaken the Giant Within book, had you been aware for a number of years that, okay, alcohol or my current lifestyle is not, you know, you said you're a five out of 10. Like what were the seeds or what were the kind of indicators that you were, you know, it was time to change? Yeah, well, I think that sense that in my mind, I thought I just reached middle age. And I remember resigning right. myself to middle age thinking, oh, this is it, 35, you're meant to feel a bit shit. You're meant to feel <laughs> tired. You're meant to feel five out of 10. You're meant to be freestone overweight. Oh, this is it. Welcome to middle age. Woohoo! Hey, what a result. This is crap. <laughs> and I've got the rest of my life to look forward to. That was a big awakening for me. Plus, obviously reading Awaken the Giant Within, the self-development, the reflection around that. Then I looked at my own life and went, well, you know, what am I doing? You know, what brings me meaning and purpose, which is my family. So I doubled down on that. But what was funny, I resigned from that job to set up a new brokerage, a rival firm, but I was going to build it on this base of well-being, right? Which everyone said was impossible. You can't be a broker and not entertain and drink and do all those things. I was like, I don't care. But I got gardening leave for nine months. So fully paid, fully looked after to not work for nine months in between those two jobs. So I traveled the world basically to meet all these brilliant thought leaders and big thinkers in the space of wellness. And I came back to the job and literally I was a changed man. I was going to meditate, eat salad and stuff. And I was doing all these lovely things. But the one thing that I hadn't changed was drinking. I hadn't even considered to question alcohol. It's mad, isn't it? We've got this cultural blind spot. I was looking at meditation and movement and not once did I think, oh, what about the alcohol thing? But it wasn't until I got back into the office and found that my consistency in my nutrition, my exercise was constantly being undone by a couple of drinks or a night out or a lunch. And it was that awakening of, oh, I think it's the alcohol. If I can actually ditch that, then maybe that will unlock the consistency that kickstarts my nutrition, my movement. But I was scared stiff because you can imagine 
like I built a life around alcohol effectively. It's how I met my friends, my wife, my business was built around, I was the entertainer. And the entertainer meant in that industry, I was going to take you out and we were going to go for it. So the thoughts of taking that away scared the life out of me to the point that I was also worried, would I be boring? I think that's the number one thing. It's like, oh my God, am I going to be boring? Like what's going to happen to fun time four pints? Andy, is Tara going to run off with a milkman? And genuinely, my biggest concern was this, it's true. I actually thought to myself one day, if I stop drinking, how the hell am I going to dance at weddings? How's that going to happen? I'm not even sure if that's legal as a ginger middle-aged man. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that stuff. So that was my, my big fears behind it. But I took a short break and I found it difficult. Then I took another break. And then the benefits that started to come through were so powerful. I slept like I slept for years. I got consistent in my nutrition, my movement. I was like, I think I'm onto something here. And that was around 28 days. So I just kept going. Wow. 28 days alcohol free. And like, you must like, did you sit and come up with a plan? Because there wasn't like, you know, when you first started this, there was no one year, no beer. I don't think there was many programs. You know, there's Alcoholic Anonymous, but like, you know, that it sounds like you were just the normal person. You weren't an alcoholic. So like, how do you, go, did you just sit down and kind of say to Tara, okay, I'm giving up alcohol for 28 days. It's my own experiment. I want to see how it goes. Or how did, like, what was that process And I can like? totally relate to one of the, sorry to cut you off, one of the things, the, the sense of like, afraid to like, how am I going to socialize? Like, where am I, am I going to lose all my friends? But like by changing this, because it's almost like changing your whole kind of like view on life. It's like kind of, if I don't drink, I'm then saying drink is bad. So are people going to think that I'm judging them for drinking? Oh no. Yeah. And that fear of change often is so overwhelming. It stops people ever making change. I think yeah. you probably see that around people's nutrition and movement yeah. and all these things. And I think that keeps people locked in their comfort zone or in, you know, in their certain behaviors, because the thoughts of stopping something, exactly that would shine a light up to my friends. My friends look at me going, who's your man? Does he think he's better than us? Healthy on himself. Like, like, and then, you know, we're social animals. You know, we thrive on those connections, don't we? So fear of being thrown out of the tribe is an unbelievable instinctive fear that we'll do anything to avoid predominantly. So exactly alcohol is one of those things when you remove it, it throws you into that, that place of fear. But back to your point about um, a strategy or a plan. No, I didn't really have one. And that's what I found really difficult at the start. There was no tribe. There was no one like me. In fact, Rich Roll, uh, our good friend, was one of the only people that I really resonated with. But even Rich's story wasn't mine. He had a huge, you know, rock bottom story, rehab story. You know, that was the traditional story around alcohol. That wasn't mine. I stopped well in advance of that. Don't get me wrong. I was on a slippery slope, but I was more in that prevention. I mean, I call it middle lane drinking, which is people that drink sometimes averagely, Sometimes moderately, sometimes heavily, sometimes not at all, which is basically everyone, right? That's basically 75% of the population. That's where I was. So there wasn't anything available apart from AA. That wasn't me at all. And in trying and finding it difficult to start, I started these challenges. I would literally say to people, I'm doing a 28-day break from the booze just to get them off my back for five minutes and to also sort of say to them, I'm going to be back. Don't worry. You'll get your drinking buddy back in 28 days. Clever or way to do it because again, it's that sense of social accountability. Yeah. It's actually having a, a, clear, a clear finish line. And it's like, as you said, don't worry, I'll be back. I'm not, I'm not saying you're yeah, wrong. Yeah. You know, it's, it's quite clever way to do it. And that was the only, uh, genuinely, I couldn't do it without that. Because and, and how did you decide, like, sorry to cut you off. How did you decide that it was like all or nothing? That it wasn't like, I'm going to cut down on booze. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to actually take a break from any consumption of booze. Yeah, I think alcohol. in truth, there was probably about three years building up to that. And you sort of touched on that earlier of waking up and never again and just the sort of regret and the tiredness and the just couldn't be arsedness. 
of it all, for want of a better word. So for me, it had to be a break. I just wanted to get some distance from it just to test the system. Did it make me feel better? Did it give me more energy? Which it did, like unbelievably so. But I almost needed to get about 28 days or two weeks and beyond to start feeling those benefits, as mm. it were. So for me, it was always going to be a proper break break. And I got to 28 days and it was literally my life changed. And what did your wife Tara think of it? Was she in support of it or was she kind of, you know, throwing bricks inside the glass house? Yeah. I don't know what the expression was. Was she behind it or not? Or Do you know what? Was... She was absolutely behind it. My wife, as you know, she's Irish. So we, we, you know, we met drinking together. In fact, you know, Irish girls, for anyone listening, would drink pints. But in England, that that's just unseen. That's like a unicorn. We've never seen a girl drink. <laughs> a unicorn. We've never seen a girl drink pints. And I remember the first time I brought Tara home to the UK and we went to the pub, my dad and my brothers. And, you know, dad said, what do you want to drink? And went round and got to Tara. She said, I'll have a, I'll have a pint, please. And my dad was like, what? What do you mean? A, what? You mean half? Said, no, no, I'll have a pint. My dad sheepishly went to the bar and he was looking back at me as if to say, is this, is this what we do? And I was like, yeah, don't worry. Brought Tara back a pint and she's sort of forever known in her family as this girl that would drink basically pint for a pint <laughs> with the boys. <laughs> so you can imagine that's the sort of bond that we had around it. So for me to sort of take that away and, you know, her partner as such, and we're, we're super close, you know, there was a lot of fear around that, but she was brilliant. I've got to say, absolutely supported me all the way. My best mates though, were a different story. Again, Irish, Lenny McCauley from Cork. See what happened, I took my initial break, that 28 days, and I got to six months. But in six months, I had my 40th birthday in Dublin, oh. which I'd arranged. I hadn't seen any of the Irish crew for the last six months, black tie uh, in the Cliff House in Dublin. So I had that looming that day thinking, how am I gonna get past that one? But what had happened in that space, I'd had this transformation. I'd lost three stone in weight. Literally in that first six months, my body fat had gone from 35% down to below 10%. My resting heart rate was at 68. It's now about 42. It was about 44 at the time. I mean, that's massive physiological changes. I looked totally different. I looked like a different person at this stage. I was consistent in my nutrition. I'd gone plant-based at that stage. So talk about sort of compounding all those cultural stigmas together, not drinking and now plant-based, which you know, both know all about. But anyway, um, so I had this real momentum in my life. I had this like buzz around me of my business is booming, even though my boss said to me, my mentor, my hero, if you continue to not drink, you're finished. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? But all of those lovely momentum, all the lovely benefits to trust in myself, the more time, the confidence that I had back, the brightness was back in my eyes, building towards this six month date. I thought, no, I'm going to go for it. So I showed up in Dublin, met my best friend, Lenny, who I hadn't seen. It didn't even know that I'd stopped drinking. And uh, you didn't have the balls to tell him. No, I told him and his instant reaction was, that's fine. He says, what you can do is, he says, there's a corner over there. And he pointed to this corner. He went, you can stand in there. That's called the boring corner. And when you have a drink, I'll let you out. <laughs> you're going to stand there going, what do I do? But he meant it, to be fair to him. He's, he's my biggest supporter now, which is lovely. You know, like that initial shock, you can imagine if you've had a best friend that you've been drinking with for years and suddenly you're not drinking, there's always that knee jerk, even though many are true words said in jest. But what I will say is that transition forward, which is eight years in my case now, he's my biggest supporter. And we have the crack in the banter. And it was only recently we were at a wedding and it was two o'clock in the morning. He'd been drinking, I hadn't. And he turned to me and said, I think this is one of our greatest days ever. And for me, that was special. You know, you've got a best mate that says that to you, even though I don't drink, and he does. Wow. Two o'clock at the wedding that I could still have the crack and 
dance get stuck and, in and participate in. fully. Yeah, and I think that, that was a pretty powerful moment for me. Wow. We nearly had a similar moment. Remember, I remember when we had been maybe two months off drink and I remember we had organized to meet our friends in... Thunder Road. It was Thunder, Thunder Road, Road Cafe, Cafe in Temple Bar. Bar. We were meeting the lads from school and we were going to go back, yeah. you know, boozing before Christmas. It was a school get together. And I remember being like, I don't know if I want to go, Dave. Like, I'm really enjoying like this kind of healthy kind of stuff that we're living in. The no booze. And I remember coming in and Dave went up to the pint or up to the bar and bought us each a pint. And I remember kind of, I think it was a lager. And I remember, go on, Flitter, get stuck in. And I, you know, I, you know, I sheepishly took it a kind of a swig and kind of got halfway through the drink. And I was like, Dave, do you want to go home early? I'm just going to the toilet and I'll the back door. <laughs> and off we went and that was that. It was just, you know, just things had shifted similarly to you that it was just, you felt like I felt more myself and more congruent. Yeah, I think when you're authentic self, that's the greatest discovery you'll ever make. And for me, there was definitely a booze cloak that I put on. I'd turn into this sort of Superman swinging off the chandeliers and then the next day revert to sort of Clark Kent type, very introvert and shy. And, and I could never quite understand why I was a different person. Until I removed the booze and realized I was always sort of more introverted and like to read and just needed my own space. I was never really that person that he created, Main character. if you know what I mean. So that takes a lot of courage because you've almost got to shed that, that skin to come back as yourself. But then life just got Which more It takes fun. bravery. It takes yeah. real bravery, you know, to kind of stand there and be vulnerable and kind of go, sorry, I'm... I'm kind of happy going home now at 10 o'clock or I don't really want to do, you know, like it takes bravery to be soft and to, you know, those type of things. Yeah, and, well. you, and you two know about it so well. I mean, you know, as you said, you, you stopped, I think, in your early 20s, which is unbelievably courageous because the social pressure is, I'd say, 10 times higher in your 20s than it is almost in your 30s. But like you say, acting from that place of congruency and authentic self, I'm going to bed because I'm tired. But guess what? You jump up at the crack of dawn and catch a sunrise. That's what I started doing. And for me, that was way more fun than that sort of 10 till 1 a.m. piece in the pub where nothing nothing fun ever happens at that stage. So once I started to get my head around that, it just became easier and easier. Uh, and so, so now, okay, so we're, we're all on the same page here and we've got similar backstories in terms of alcohol and whatever. And for anyone listening who's kind of probably got, they're, they're kind of on board, they can see parts themselves in your story and kind of going, okay, yeah, maybe it might, maybe like I'm not, I don't have a, an AA type relationship with alcohol, but sometimes I use it as a, I don't have the healthiest relationship with it. Like what are some of the, like over the years now, since starting one year, no beer, what are some of the stats in terms of alcohol and what it does to you? And what, like what have, what's been your learning and your evolutions from it? Like if you were talking to a friend and going, okay, these are some incredible stats about alcohol, which just aren't out there that people don't know about. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah. And, and I will. And I often wouldn't mention these to friends because I think that the, the stats out there are horrifying if you go down that route. And I think if you go too far down that route, people are not motivated. I think they feel a bit like, oh, you're telling me off. So I go right down the opposite route, which is all the positives and the benefits and the fun. But equally on that side, I mean, one of the big ones that pe more people should know, and this really upsets me. I must, this is the one that upsets me. For example, alcohol is directly linked to breast cancer in many, many studies. Yet most people are completely unaware of that. In fact, there was a, uh, a bit of research recently in the British Medical Journal that said only one five in one, one out of five women even knew there was an association with alcohol and breast cancer. So a bit unlike smoking, where you know, right, everyone knows if you, if you smoke, that's personal choice, isn't it? But everyone knows that that causes harm and all various lifestyle diseases. People still don't even know 
that alcohol is associated directly with various types of cancer, but specifically breast cancer in women. That frustrates me a little bit. I think that upsets me. I think at least all women should know that and all men as well should know the facts. And then at least they're, they're coming from an empowered place. Whereas at the moment, we've got this cultural mythology around alcohol, haven't we? Most people wouldn't even call it a drug. No, no, no. And it's almost like it's the same way back in the 1950s or 60s. Like a friend of ours who he's, he's given up cigarettes. He's been smoking cigarettes for 50 years. And he said, well, back when I was 10, like he said, I started when I was 12. And he said, back then, all the footballers, they'd be smoking cigarettes on the touchline. He said the doctors smoked it, the political, like everyone smoked. And it was just, that was the cultural norm. And nowadays, like alcohol is, it's a very accepted you know, thing which we do in our society nowadays. But I wonder in the future, will there be a day where it might, maybe it mightn't be the extent of smoking, but it's certainly, it's it's an accepted, you know, drug, you know, societally accepted. Yeah, and, and I really think it's starting to shift now. I've seen it in the last eight years. For example, when I first stopped drinking, there was one alternative that I could find available called Bex Blue. It wasn't particularly well stocked. Now there are thousands upon thousands of alcohol-free alternatives, which is a huge shift. Guinness have just brought out their zero zero and it's amazing. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it is absolutely amazing. When those type of things happen, you know there's this cultural shift happening. And those huge companies are not making this stuff for the sake of it. They're making it because the demand is there. And I think there's a real shift and people still want to feel grown up. I still want to feel grown up. I like alcohol-free alternatives as a placebo. I quite like the taste of them. So the fact that they're really well stocked now as changing the game dramatically. I think there's a huge shift coming. I think it will be like smoking at some point. People will still do it, like they still smoke, but people will know all the facts and they'll be really aware of it. Whereas at the moment, there's this cultural societal blind spot to alcohol. It's not even known, like say, as a, as a drug. It's just this thing that we all do. I think that shift is definitely coming. Some of the trends are uh, portraying that. Young people are drinking a lot less. There's a lot more teetotal young people than there's ever been before. But then it goes the other way. Those that are drinking apparently are drinking more. So you've got this weird dichotomy between the two. You know, you've got people drinking not at all or the ones that are drinking are drinking more. Can can you tell, okay, so this is kind of moving slightly. I'm moving it all over the place. Apologies. But uh, I like... So, so your story kind of led you into like you'd started with yourself and your own development and kind of gone, okay, and experienced it with yourself. And then then you and Rory you're, got together and you kind of turned it into a mission. Can you tell that story like just a little bit about One Year No Beer? Because that's that's an incredible yeah. you know, creation. Really. And had a wonderful social impact. Yeah, and still does. And um, so basically I'd stopped and Rory was in the old firm. So I left the firm to start a new brokerage as mentioned. But when you leave, it's like, have you ever seen the film, The Firm with Tom Cruise? Yeah. Yeah, you're dead to me. It's like that, right? So if you wow. leave the firm, you're out. No it's one talks like to you, you are like That's the worst thing you can do. So Rui and I would meet in secret. Literally we had to meet in secret. Wow. More so him, because if he'd be seen with me, you know, that was like the arch enemy now, because we were in direct competition with that firm. Um, and he would see me looking completely different. You know, he saw me about three or four months into my alcohol-free journey. My eyes were bright. My business was booming. He knew that because he was in competition effectively or partly in competition with us. Could see how well we were doing. Looked totally different. Had this new energy about me. So he was inspired to stop himself. So about six months in, not long after, actually, I'd just come back from Ireland and I told him the story about going to Ireland and not drinking at my 40th. And he was so impressed with it that inspired him to stop. Three months later, we meet again. He's lost weight. He looks amazing. His business is booming. We're like, this is bloody brilliant. We've got to share this with someone. And, and what I will always be thankful to Rui for, 
as you know, he's got a, a sort of a magnificent confidence about him that I didn't necessarily have. And he was sort of like, let's put this into a book, let's get this out into the world. And sort of was quite the engine, the fire starter behind it or getting going in those early days. So I wrote a little ebook. He put it up on the Tinter web. I didn't know anything about this stuff. We put it out there thinking maybe one or two other brokery types might read it. That wasn't the case at all. It went all over the world, China, Brazil, people contacting us, really resonating with the underlying message was that there's nothing to give up and everything to gain. Again, all about the positives. We didn't go into any of those negative stuff. It was all about, you're going to have more time, you're going to have more energy, you're going to feel great, your relationship's going to be better. People were really resonating with that, which then started this whole, I guess, movement. We started a Facebook group, which then became an online course. And did where, you originally call it one year no beer? Because it's yeah. like it's like a kind of a strong commitment one year, like a friend of ours, Alan Rowlett, uh, That's right. swim with us. He, he came down because he started doing one year no beer and he said, I'm going to give up booze for a year and... To, to make it more sustainable, I got to change my habits. So instead of me staying up late at night, I'm going to start swimming at sunrise because it means I got to get up early so I can't stay up late. So he actually tried bringing in some positive lifestyle change. And he was the one who kind of first introduced us to the idea of one year, no beer. Yeah, Alan's such a, a lovely guy. Yeah. And that was sort of the mantra that I'd used along the line to buy me even more time. So it started on a 28 day challenge. Now I'm doing a year. I'm doing a year without beer. And I thought that's another thing. It stretches it long enough that... I'd have the confidence. And really after about three months, I had the confidence to say to people, I'm just not drinking. But that again, just gave me that extra bit of an excuse to sort of say, look, I will be back with you all. Don't worry, I'll be getting on it. I'm not judging you, you're, yeah, you're yeah, doing yeah. great. I wanna be I'm one of you too. stretching this thing out longer and longer. And then somewhere on that journey, I went, ah, do you know what? This is brilliant. I'm never going back. I don't care what people say at this stage. And then of course, they'd seen the change in me, the positive change in me. They'd seen the weight loss, they'd seen the, the business, the, the relationships. So no one could argue with me. There was not, there was no argument left. The only argument that was left is the fun argument. That's the one thing that people would try and pull out and go, oh, it's so boring. And then obviously I changed my nutrition as well, more plant-based. And they're like, well, what, what's left in life? What's the point? <laughs> Can't drink, you don't eat meat, what's the point? So I had to sort of overcome that. But then it was sort of almost showing them through those actions that I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my entire life because I've got this energy that I can get up and socialize in different ways. And it's kind of redefining it towards meaning. Like, you yeah. know, like, because if fun is associated with your Friday nights or Saturday nights and just going getting drunk and always associated around drinks, well, then you have to kind of almost have to get existential and look at your own life and go, okay, like maybe others mightn't see me as fun, but how do I enjoy myself where it's not about alcohol, where it's not about some external stimulant? Like what makes me tick? And it probably forces you down that road. Oh, yes, it's so true. And that's where you get that reflection to the authentic self, who you really are and get comfortable in your own skin and then find new things to bring meaning and purpose. And what actually happened for me was that in sharing that story, the first time someone sent me an email, it was a text, Facebook message, that, that changed my life in those moments. When someone says, and I know you guys have had it a lot, people come back to you and say what you wrote or what you said or the Facebook Live that you did has changed my life. I'm now... 60 days alcohol free and my relationship's back on track. I've lost weight. My job's better. I've got more energy. Thank you so much for having the courage to share your message. That was just the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. So that ignited this whole new meaning and purpose that I hadn't even considered before. And that's what keeps driving me to this day, really, is that sense of giving back. But equally, you know, you're always on that development journey yourself. So that's what I love about it. You get to sort of keep it for yourself and then share it back with other people. That's basically what I'm doing. Beautiful, it really yeah. is. And one year, one year, no beer has kind of gone from 
now it's online and it probably doesn't have much physical things in the last year and a half, but it's kind of grown and it's got community members all around the world. And is, is it more, is it more male orientated or female orientated or where do you find the, or is it for? Yeah. I mean, the demographics were always slightly skewed towards uh, yeah. females. Or to females. Yeah. Wow. Even though it, it was quite. Because yeah, beer happen. is more yeah. associated with men. Like you go beer and men tend to go more. And I Booze. think oh, yeah. you know, wine and spirits would. Might, now, well, I haven't drank in 20 years, but those would be the associations that I have. Yeah. You'd be surprised because even it was quite masculine, the whole approach to it, that just about evened it up because predominantly in those areas, uh, it's much more female orientated. I think females are much more comfortable in th those type of environments to share, um, to be candid, to be open. I think we need to, to do a lot more for men, actually, in truth. I think men are still really slow to come forward, even though we know from the stats that just as many men in that middle lane bracket that would you know have a life transformation, in my opinion, by taking a break, it's quite difficult to get them out and on board. I think a lot of men probably do it themselves i.e. take a break themselves and don't need the community behind it. But I think the community's some of the most important part, really, when you're trying to make this type of change. Wow. Yeah. And wow. I, like, I think like almost like, say, similarly to us, you grew up in an environment that was quite masculine or macho, you know, playing professional yeah. sport, then damn brokers, very much alcohol, you know, keeping you in this kind of thing. And it was uh, like, I, for us anyway, through giving up alcohol, it made me actually connecting with my own vulnerability and the mm. more soft and the more female qualities where it was more caring, nurturing, actually trying to connect, being more empathetic, more compassionate. And it was through this journey that I felt more whole. So I wonder if it's, was it similar how you felt it? Yeah, and this is a really important part. And I touched on this earlier. I think the alcohol thing or stopping alcohol or taking a break from alcohol, that's the excuse to get people in the room. That almost brings people into this world. And then in that reflection around meaning and purpose, they find that softer side. They connect with a different level of themselves. That is where all the revelations come from, the transformations come from. It's not so much about the alcohol thing. That's just the excuse to get people to look in inward the room. Yeah. And I think it kickstarts this whole self-development journey, which I predominantly do now is, is help people around self-development because that's the, the vital next step for me. The alcohol thing is the first bit. Because most people at that stage, are not, they don't care about self-development. They're not in that headspace. You know what I mean? They're just maybe struggling a bit or finding their relationship a bit frustrating or they haven't gone there before. They come in to change their relationship with alcohol. In that reflection, it's like, oh, actually, what next? My mind and my beliefs have been changed a little bit. I've got a bit more time. I've got a bit more energy. What are my goals? What is my meaning? What is my purpose? And in that beautiful cauldron, I think that's why people go on these, these like life transformations that I get to witness all the time. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. And that's been because uh, like the, you're still involved in the one year now beer mission. And the last couple of years has been more you've kind of branched off into the personal development and helping other people, you know, transform their lives. And what are some of the things like what like if you were to kind of meet someone, if someone came to you and said, hey, Andy, I'm feeling crap. Like I'm I'm I'm, I'm a five out of I'm ten. I'm a five out I'm of three ten. Stone I'm forty. I'm whatever, like, what are the steps that you do? Like, cause you've obviously, you've written books on self-development. You've been coaching people in it. Like, what are the steps? What do you, what do you bring people? What, what's the journey look like? Yeah. I mean, and I'll start with a really obvious one for me is to take a break from alcohol. And I've just applied for my PhD. I like the way you call it a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't give us a break. Name. That's it's, a good distinction. Cause if it's a never thing, it's too much. Yeah. It's just 
take a break. But that's got to be, you know, I, I've literally just applied for my PhD for, uh, in February. Academia, go oh, Andy. I love it. I, don't, I left school at 16. It's not bad, is it? I had to claw my way back into Very that. good, aren't you? So, and what I actually want to do with that is put the science behind all these lovely subjective benefits I keep talking about. You know, a 28-day break from alcohol. It's going to give you more energy, more time, improve better your relationships, sleep. better sleep to put all the science behind that for middle lane drinkers. So this is not about addiction. It's not about problematic. Cause I know. I like they call mind, it middle lane drinkers as well. Cause it's like, you know, like I think. I thought uh, you said middle-aged drinkers. No, middle saying it, but I got it. Yeah, you know, not an alcoholic, not a teetotaler, but somewhere in the middle where like is often a relationship with addiction. It's a spectrum. It's not like you're an addict or you're not. Sometimes the middle lane drinkers can be, you know, have similar kind of dependency on it, not necessarily to the same degree, but there is a dependence, a neediness, a social crutch, a social lubricant. To, when we're feeling down, we tend to turn to it. Yeah, and I think it's that, if you think that's 75% of the population, that's where most people are in that middle lane being affected by it, even in ways that are not really obvious. So they're not waking up and having done something horrific or rock bottom. Maybe they're just affecting their sleep, which is making them a bit more grumpy in their relationship, or they're slightly less motivated, or they're not consistent in their exercise. That group there is where I, I'm aiming everything I do. I think they need it the most. So the PhD will put a bit of science around that, because in my mind, it should be the first thing or up there alongside mindfulness and exercise and nutrition that if someone went to their GP, for example, and said, I'm feeling a bit down. All right, do you drink? Are you in the middle lane? Yeah, take a break from alcohol. Um, my relationship's a bit strained and not going anywhere. Do you drink? Yes. Are you in the middle lane? Yes, take a break from alcohol. <laughs> Would you like more energy? Yes, take a break from alcohol. Would you okay, like- okay, okay, okay. So, 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 <laughs> so step number one, so step number one, this this five out of 10 person comes in yeah. to Andy. Can, can, I go, can I go just take it one step back? For anyone listening who kind of wants to take that break, like there's pretty many people listening now and feel a little bit inspired. It's like, okay, it's January. It's like, I want to kind of, can you know try take a break just to see does it affect me can i kind of get more energy can i lose three stone if i have three stone to lose can i suddenly start feeling more myself feel more engaged find a sense of purpose how, how can someone set it up the deck in their favor such that they could take a break and successfully do it for a month or yeah what would be your what, what are the tips for success in relation to number that? one tip come and join me i'll be i'll be live every day on facebook boom at Andy and, Ramage Official and Instagram at Andy Ramage Official, cheering people on. That's what I've been doing for the last eight years, pretty much every single day, basically hammering the same drum, just showing up for people and cheering you on throughout that process. So that's like wow. number one. Um, I think a book, The 28 Day Alcohol Free Challenge, is a, is a nice little tool. There's loads of tips and tricks and techniques in there. I think one of the main things, if you're going to take a break this Jan, is to do it with a mindset that you're not giving something up, you're gaining an advantage. Because well, many people listening will know the classic sort of dry Jan approach, which is I'm going to absolutely hammer it over Christmas, knowing that I'm going to take Jan off, but I'm going to lock myself away as a crap month. It's going to be rubbish. And then all you really do is create a reaffirming belief that your alcohol life's only good with happy. alcohol. Yeah, it's just bullshit. It's just not true. So you have to come at it with the right mindset. It's like, actually, right, I've got a month. I'm not going to drink. Let's really have a good look at it. Am I going to have more energy? Right. What about I get up and catch a sunrise? Because it's pretty easy to catch on a in jam what about i catch a sunset what about go for a sea swim like bring the fun to your life do all the things that you haven't been doing because you've got that new energy really connect with all the differences in your life because that's unbelievable so if you have that approach that there's nothing to give up and everything to gain i think that's the number one thing that you bring because then you get that lovely experiment and that visceral experience of actually when i was drinking i felt like this and when I'm not drinking, I feel like this. And there's a marked difference. That's a really powerful experience. And then you might be able to use that tactically 
to take tactical months off. Let's just say when you weren't drinking, you shred some weight. That's what happens to a lot of people. It's in the in the in the literature. And you've got a big birthday coming up and you want to be optimizing. You want that brightness in your eyes. You want sober hair. Sober hair is a real thing, apparently. It's more sober hair. Voluptuous and bouncy. So maybe it's that big birthday, take a break. Or maybe it's that deadline, take a break. So it's really important, I think, to have the mindset that it's a positive thing as opposed to negative. That's yeah. a lovely one. I like that. That's really okay. Okay, back to my five yes. out of ten questions. So five out of ten person, non-gender specific, comes along and says, Okay, how do I turn my life around? So step number one is try a 28 day without alcohol. Yeah. A break, a break, a break, a break, a break. yeah, a, a temporary break. break. Yeah, and I think uh, post that it's community. I think community is really, really important. If you can find a community and surround yourself by people that get you, that understand you, that want to be a little bit better, whether that's online or whether that's in person, whether that's going for a sea swim, I think community is so powerful. We thrive in community. And I think many of us have lost that. And that's what I love what you guys are doing is building a community in many ways. So I think if you can surround yourself with like-minded people as best you can that are on a mission, whatever it is, whether that's around nutrition or whether that's around movement or being alcohol-free, I think find a community that supports the goals that you're trying to achieve. And again, that might be just to bolster your well-being if you're that five out of 10 person, but also start small, start simple, start with one thing, as opposed to trying to do everything at once. If it's not a break from alcohol, maybe it's to move your body, find a tribe, or maybe it's to eat a different style of nutrition, find a tribe. I think that's where you start and start small. That's a nice one. Find yeah. like, because all the, we, we chatted with Dan Butner, who was the blue zones oh, well, guy. Yeah. And he was all about the environment. Like if you want to change the habit, change your environment, because we all ultimately become a product of our environment. So I really, really do believe that all the research says, if you've got Friends that are overweight, you're more likely to be overweight. And if yeah. you have healthier, happier friends, you're more likely to be healthier and happier. Yeah. Well, well, there's some research, a guy called Nicholas Christakis. I don't know if you, you're familiar with that guy, but it always blows my mind. So he was the network researcher that found out that if someone in your immediate circle becomes obese, the chances of you becoming obese goes up by 45%, which wow. is pretty mind-blowing. But if one of your friend's friends becomes obese, that your chances goes up by 25%. But if one of your friends, friends, friends becomes obese, your chance of becoming obese still goes up by 10%. Isn't that amazing? Three degrees of separation. And how and connected that, we are. How connected. And that's just obesity. But it's the same with drinking, smoking. It's the same with positive emotions, negative emotions, flowing in and out of networks. And that's why I think in my mind, it's about being a beacon of positive change in many ways. That's deflecting all the negative stuff and pushing out the good vibes and the good habits to uh, attracting the humans to support uh, yeah. your, your own, but keeping you up in a sense. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really important part of it that's often overlooked, I think, by people. That's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Can you tell us about the coaching, which you're doing now? Because you're coaching coaches or you're... Yeah, you so know, that's, your... that's been a big thing. Uh, 10 years ago, when I first started training to become a coach myself and then did the degrees and master's degrees and all those things, I had a real vision of, this is so powerful. I'd love to share it with people. And sort of parked it until I'd actually done it in all these different genres from executive coaching to creating a movement. So now I've actually got it into a place where I train ICF accredited coaches, which is like the elite end of coaching, which they can spin out into any different direction from executive to bereavement. But then I also put an extra module on there, which is specifically to alcohol free coaching. Because I love that, and that's my first passion. Oh, yeah. That's yes. yeah. Would you still see that as one of your kind of, you know, your favorite thing? Is oh, this that is it? That's, that's it. That, that'll that'll feed me with meaning and purpose to the day I die. I'll always be involved in the alcohol-free space. I've had a, a little break, but I'll always be back in there. 
um, because that for me is the engine behind everything. And what, what would you say to someone saying, I, I don't really drink that much. Like, I don't really have a problem. Like, I don't need to give it up. Like, what, what type of a response do you say to someone like that who, who kind of immediately, not deflects it, but kind of says, nah, you know, I'm, I'm, me and alcohol, we're, we're good friends. You know, I don't yeah. need to give it up. Like, is there... Yeah, I think people have to come to it when they're ready. Yeah. But equally, even if you're drinking a small amount, it's still having an impact. You know, it, most people and people's gauge of what is acceptable has moved so far above and beyond what is acceptable. For example, more than about three or four drinks in one sitting is considered binge drinking. Wow. Right. For most average drinkers, that is a warm up. That's a moderate sort of night out to have three or four drinks. That's like nothing. That is binge drinking. Do you know what I mean? So everyone's bar has been set so high. A lot of the people that go, yeah, I don't really drink that much. I just have three or four drinks every time I go out. That's binge drinking every time they go out. So like my encouragement, again, is the same story. Why not just take a break if you don't drink that much just and have a little look? And if you feel a bit better and you sleep a bit better and you've got a bit more energy, that's, it's, that's it's a great almost like, It's almost like what you're talking about is, you know, one, one positive habit can change to others and can, you know, you can have a positive domino effect in your life. Whereas, you know, if you tend to drink, as you're saying, binge drinking three and four drinks, you know, will lead to probably less good sleep, which will probably lead to less good food choices, which will lead to good, lead to probably less good relationships. And it, it can have a negative effect. Whereas if you can kind of take the seed out for, take a break for a period of time, well, then you might experience kind of what it's like. You probably have to reach these personal development questions and have to be faced with some of these truths on the journey to become your authentic self. But ultimately, every single one to one of us, everyone listening, wants a better relationship with themselves. We all want to like ourselves more. And sometimes we use other outlets or other tools such as alcohol or other things, stimulants, to try to get away from ourselves or hide from ourselves. And I think the more we can reach that authentic self, the happier we're more likely to be. Yeah, I think that's what's so powerful about it. I think that's ultimately what it is. It's this sort of gateway to our authentic self that we don't often get an opportunity to explore because we're so busy in our lives and alcohol just is a wash in our society. So when you just remove it, it just gives you exactly that, what you've just described. So why, you know, in my opinion, why not try? Do you know what, I mean? what have you got to lose doing a 28-day break? Nothing, right? And all you might gain is this wonderful insight that actually I felt bloody great at the end of it. Why not continue or be tactical about it over the course of a year and take tactical breaks? That's my mission because I know deep down, if anyone takes a break for long enough with the right mindset, they'll love it. It will, it will be transformational for them if they're in that middle lane drinker, which is, again, basically everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. why not? Jesus, brilliant. Really, like you're talking to two complete converts know, here yeah. now. So, it's just, it's so, so, so there's no resistance. There's zero <laughs> yeah. resistance. And you're in a room of four people here who don't drink alcohol. So you're like, you are in the exception. You're, you're in, in the Ireland. choir. In the choir. You're singing to the choir here. And I even think of when you're back to talking about the environment. And we didn't ever consciously create an environment that supported our habits. But when I think of all the friends that we swim with in the beach, I don't know how many of them drink. Not that, like, it doesn't seem like a common habit. It's not part of, you never hear it part of the dialect. We're going for points. There's maybe a little offshoot of them, but most people drink. It doesn't seem to be the name because people are getting up and swimming and there tends to be healthy eating is baked in, you know, a bit like, as you said, a positive network, just like if you've got obese friends, that kind of tends to have a ripple effect on you. I think yeah. it conversely goes the complete other direction. Yeah, and I think exactly that. It's, it's a beautiful thing and people getting up and catching a sunrise are probably not hungover. <laughs> 
well, they might be using it as, as that refresher, but no, it is a lovely thing. And actually, just thinking about the fact that we've got five non-drinkers in a room, when's that ever happened before? <laughs> That's pretty rare. Yeah, you know, in this, the, but isn't it beautiful that it's starting to gain momentum? Well, well, I think it's changed. I think it is changing, sorry, culturally in that certainly over the last year and a half, you know, pubs have been closed in Ireland and people's habits have changed. And we've seen it in our lifetime where the pub was literally the public house. Yeah. It was the center of society. It was where people communicated and went. Even, even us everything. up, do you remember on Sundays, mom and dad would go to the pub. They'd go to the, the pub and we'd around. all run around the pub and eat crisps and we'd get a bottle of fizzy lemonade or something. And that was, that was, it was so yeah. baked into the culture. Whereas nowadays, I think, like I, like as an undrinker, I have, couldn't tell you the last time I'd been in a pub. Like it's just not part of my habits. And I see more and more people, they'll meet for coffee or they'll do other things to spend time. Now, obviously there must be the other worlds, which I'm not a part of at all. But um, yeah, definitely, as you said, it's shifting. Yeah, it, and, and that's the most exciting part to see that happening, see that momentum. Like you've seen in, in you know, the plant-based movement since, you know, for the last 20 odd years that you've been involved, but it seems to have accelerated in the last 10. It's the same with the alcohol-free movement. So it's exciting times ahead. Yeah, it really seems is. like it's like for us generally, like we'll people wanting to kind of experience more positivity in their life. We'll often see food as our gateway. Yeah. Like if you change your yeah. food, start eating better. And it's amazing to hear you that it's like it's alcohol is you is the lens. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. I've it, never I, even I, thought it. I've never I haven't eaten like because it's in our lifetime, it just hasn't been on the table for so long. I forget that for most people it is like I really do like for 20 years we haven't drank so I don't even question yeah it's like not, I think almost people don't I forgot no one's talking here I forgot about it yeah forgot about the alcohol thing which is pretty amazing isn't it but like that and I think it's the same with exercise I think all those big pillars sort of bring people into a, a bit of a you know potential transformation in their life food is one of them so, it's amazing because we talk about like food and exercise and no sleep about and community but I never thought like alcohol being one of them because you know the way it's you forget how what yeah. a hold it has on and it's society. also it's harder to talk about you know the bad not the bad thing but something that's causing the problem it's easier to go this is the solution mm. it's much harder to point out this is don't do this as you, you said even you're saying there have a positive mindset towards it like see it as what you're going to gain as opposed to what you're giving up yeah exactly that and, and I think all of these things are important to put that frame around it it's just a positive thing and it's just a test. And if you feel good at the end of it, brilliant. What a lovely experience. I like Jeez, that. I must okay. start introducing bits of this and put people in our courses onto your plans because it's like it really, it's a, it's a piece that I've, you know, I, I've long forgotten about. Yeah, I love it. It really it. is. Jeez, great job, Andy. Brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I mean, exciting times ahead. So for anyone wanting to learn more about your work, Andy, where is the best place for them to find? Obviously, there's Andy underscore Ramage official, wasn't it? Yeah, or at Andy Ramage official, Facebook, Instagram, and then Andy How do you spell Ramage? Or A-M-M-A-G-E. Or it's just one M. Like damage with an R. Oh, I like that. It's just nice and easy. Or andyramage.com. Okay. And that's where all the bits, where the courses are and the training is and whatnot. And like I said, I'll be live all through Jan, every day, Instagram, Facebook, cheering anyone on that's taking a break from the booze like and that. on the personal development because that's obviously yeah the that key. that's flows the on. spring board that comes off that yeah i love it brilliant well well done andy you're great yeah thank you andy Top Thanks, work, yeah. Woo! Woo! that was a great chat love andy and just love that message it's something as a society we seldom sit down and reflect on our relationship with alcohol it's just taken at most social events in the evening most adult get togethers typically Alcohol is the is the central lubricant. social lubricant that most people lean on or that social crutch. Yes, I really hope you got something out of this. Um, if you want to learn more, as Sarah said, we've got an exciting project coming very soon. And uh, yes, yeah, to hold your hand in this obviously direction which we've been talking about. So you will learn more about that 
if you follow us on social media. Um, yeah, thanks for listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. It was definitely one of the highlights of all the things I did last year was to be involved in this podcast. I've enjoyed it immensely. I thank you for listening to it. It's so much fun. It's like, I often think of it like like an MBA on life, a continuous education. Ooh, very yeah, good. But thank um, you. So yeah, thanks to you. If you enjoyed this, as we said, please share it on Instagram stories and we'll reshare it and get the message out there to as many people as we can. I think this is a really important message so um, yeah let us know and um, thanks to you we really appreciate it bye 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 b